0: All right, weekends, episode six, we're back, the praise has been high, the bar's been set high, how are we doing?
1: Doing good, I mean, I'm surprised that we're at episode six, A, and that means we're almost 33% to the point, which is I think episode 21, where 99% of creators fall off beforehand, if that makes sense, so only 1% of podcasters ever make it past episode 21, so 33% to that point, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like it's easy when you're when you're having these like, these, like brainstorm style, style shows where a lot of what we're talking about is like not off the cuff, but like we've already been doing the thinking separately on this. And then we come together and just like, you know, hang out bullshit together. Like those are the easiest ones to do. So I feel like there's no reason we couldn't do this for a thousand episodes and from my perspective.
1: And funny enough, like you wrote about this on Blueprint, but one of the highest um, sort of ROI things that we can do as creators is speaking with other creators because not only are we sort of encouraging each other and learning from each other and inspiring one another, it's like we are getting so much alpha, like so much signal, like so much um, things that we can use and put into practice. And it's unbelievably helpful. And so it's like we're doing this now at scale. We're sort of like helping each other, having these creative brainstorms, but also anybody listening as well. So you're right, man. It's not a podcast that's like difficult to do. There's no friction here. It's just like something that we look forward to and excited to do every week. So
0: yeah, it's the bounce back too. like what I'm realizing. So what getting the game from other creators is like helpful but potentially even more helpful is like when you're forced to articulate when someone's like what are you up to and you're forced to like package what you're trying to do and say it out loud you just like it's way easier to spot the gaps to like tighten up the messaging to get your delivery down to like you know the bounce back is super valuable i feel like so that's that's another thing One of the things you were talking about right before, which I I want to dive into, I think this would be super high leverage is the idea of like building systems. And like you and I are basically getting to a point where the opportunities coming in are really interesting. The channels we want to build off, there's numerous, there's other things that aren't content channels that we're trying to build businesses on the side. So like focus is always a thing that I'm like trying to hone in, but there's just so many opportunities. And you were talking about how systems are so critical in order to like tackle that. Talk about like what you're thinking around systems and, and how you're trying to frame it. Cause I know both of me and you, it's top of mind.
1: Yeah. I think like coming from a product background, it's like the magic is you're always trying to find product market fit, right? And like the moment where you do find that it is magical. And then that gives you the data point that you need and the encouragement that you need. Okay. Let's allocate resources to it. Let's build a system. Let's hire a team. Let's um, and, and that's like a really, first of all, it's very, very difficult to find. I think more, more difficult than people make it out to be. I think you and I both have found product market fit in our content, like we know, okay, this works, the more effort and energy that we put into it now, um, the bigger team that we may be able to build around it, et cetera, the more we're able to systemize it, like just the better and more impactful our content will be. And and I think we can build really sort of authoritative voices in, in each niche that we're sort of carving. And I think that's where we're both at right now, where it's like, okay, we can continue to do this sort of solo, compound our followers our audiences whatever but what would it look like if we build a team around what we're doing like how much faster can we move how much bigger of a leap can we take in 24 versus 23 and I think um as with anything else we were just talking about earlier like systems are the game just almost for anything in life right you got to have a system or or a routine whatever you you might want to call it so like I'd love to talk about on this pod um what about building systems. Like how will that help us 2X or even 10X in 2024 and how we're both thinking about that. So I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll leave the question to you first because um, you've been super thoughtful about this. Like what, at the end of 2024, what would success look like for you in terms of building out a system?
0: Yeah. I mean, a good frame for this too is like what Elon always says, right? Elon says... Building the product itself is hard, but building the manufacturing plant to manufacture at scale is like a million times harder. It's the same exact thing, right? It's like building the product, getting product market fit with the content was difficult. But like now that we have it, what's even harder is getting those systems in place. And so I was reflecting on this because I keep, I've started to ask myself, like, what would it look like to 10X X or to 10X this? And this could be like my content production, the money in, the, amount of things I'm doing? Like, like what would, what extra, and I guess just to take one, for example, let's say the content production, let's say I'm putting out like six to eight pieces of content a week or whatever. It's maybe less, maybe more. What would it look like to 10 X that That's 60 to 80 pieces of content a week? Now that's not saying I think that's the right strategy or like I want to 10 X that, but like if I were to 10 X that to 60 pieces of content a week, what would I have to do? I'd have to have a team of editors. I'd have to have someone organizing the editors. I'd have to have someone posting for me and dealing with a schedule, right? So like all of a sudden when you start kicking the tires of like, okay, it maybe, like I said, maybe 60 pieces isn't right, but like maybe 20 or 30 is, you're gonna have to start having those. I think that's like a helpful exercise to take the guardrails off. To get tactical, I feel like there's really three areas in what we're doing that require like their own Thought and focus around systems. One is we'll say deals. So, like working with our partnerships, we'll say, like working with brands, getting money in, all of that. Two is operations around like the team you have, the editing, the content being posted, the timing, the sequences, the tools you're like basically the whole ops. And then three is like the actual creative content product or like the production of the product. Those are like the three buckets. And I think. I think eventually at optimal scale, you need systems for all three that also tie together. So like for deals, for example, we were talking about this on the last pod, the lowest leverage way to get to build a system for deals is to hire a head of sales or like a talent manager who basically handles all that for you. And those people build the, they build the Slack, the reporting tool, they work, they handle pretty much all of it. So that's the easiest one to systematize because I think you only need one person, like the industry already exists for that. Maybe you need a bookkeeper, maybe you need a VA to like help them, but like that's pretty simple. The second bucket is the ops. So this at scale would be, you have like a head of ops, a COO type role, who's basically responsible for driving the entire ship other than the content, other than the creative. So that's like managing all the editors, making sure they're doing the right thing, making sure the content's going out on the right time, uh, w- like managing that salesperson, making sure that salesperson is, maybe the money's flowing in, making sure the taxes are paid, like all of that, right? And I think at scale, that's like the one COO over the umbrella using Slack, using Notion, whatever like the toolkit is. We can talk about that in detail if needed. And then the third bucket is the content, which is where you and I pretty much want to live, right? That's where all my, that's where I, or not the content, but like the creative, which is content and product. That's where all my time, I want all my time to be. And on that sense, it's really like the systems are using the tooling to tie in with the ops team basically, or like whoever the editors or whatever are. So we can go we can drill down on that a few levels honestly but i want to get your reaction to that cuz that's at a high at a high level that's kind of how i'm thinking about it and i have no systems for any of them right now and <laughs> zero bucket has anything
1: right which is by the way another another thing where i think like weekends has an edge over other pods and not to like play that competitive game but it's like we're in the midst of the journey which i really really love and so like by episode 93 it could be cool about oh, we succeeded here or we failed here and this is what we did wrong. Let me save you time. Don't do this. And like, I think that's really valuable. So people can like witness the journey sort of unfold instead of like, yo, we're at the end of our careers. We did it. Here's how we did it. Um, I agree with what you say. I mean, I think the biggest challenge here is scaling the output while maintaining the, the, the quality bar that we're toward to set or even scaling the output while 10 xing the quality. So when I think about, scaling and 10 xing my content. The first thing I think about is like, how do I 10 X the quality, right? Like how do I, how do I package this product to, to the point where it's like even more attractive, more compelling, more interesting to the end consumer. And then my next thought is how do I increase that distribution? And so like right now I'm not so much thinking like, how do I, how do I just output more content? How do I just create more content? I want to get your thoughts on this. Cause it's like conventional wisdom is just like put out more and more and more, put out a piece of content every day. What I've noticed, there's so many people on social now with a large following, million plus, 600, whatever it might be, but they fail to consistently attract views. They can't get consistent views. And it's just because they're putting out too much garbage. And I think it's sort of like the audience becomes disinterested. So like their game is, like find, is discovery, new people coming into the machine, new people introduced to whatever their uh, um, sort of like onboard flow is. But they forget to kind of like, that their existing audience might sort of fall off or become disinterested. And so my first thing when I think about scaling is like, I want to scale, I want to create more content, but it's got to be 10 of 10. And I want to continue to, to scale the quality of the content. So that's the challenge. So when, so when I'm thinking about, I think you and I, it would be really, really dope to have like somebody on the team who's like an ideator who's just like, they understand the culture of all these platforms. They understand what's trending. They understand where things are moving they could come to us with ideas, help us cultivate the scripts, et cetera. So, like, that's a, that's somebody that we could hire that will improve the uh, the quality. And we can go through, like, editors as well. They can all improve the quality and quantity. Then another thing, which I think is a super hack, is a team that can come in and figure out the distribution. So, like, right now we're both putting out content. We go and post it to Instagram, post it to TikTok, post it to whatever it might be. But the thing is, like, if, if I'm going to post something to Instagram, that same reel is not going to perform the same on TikTok, definitely not on Twitter, on X, on Threads, wherever it may be. And so, like that piece of content, instead of just reposting it to all the platforms, it has to be repurposed for each spe- and tweaked for each specific platform. So, somebody who can come in, understand all these platforms, and uh, and and I don't know if that makes sense to you, but like, so if I create a reel, I want that reel instead of a 1080 by 1920. I might do 1080 by 1080 for LinkedIn with a separate hook. For Twitter, I might do 1920 by 1080 landscape, you know, with a really compelling, like, uh, tweet storm or whatever it might be. For TikTok, I might want a separate hook. I might want to strip the audio from Premiere and use a TikTok trending sound. And instead of captions coming from Premiere, I might want somebody to go and actually do the captions manually on TikTok because that does help towards their SEO and that. So, like, yeah, that, I mean, like, so I'm thinking about it. Okay, quality distribution, output, that all has to scale in congruence. And if it sort of becomes unbalanced, I don't think it works. I mean,
0: there's a lot, there's a ton you said there that I want to dive into. I feel like the, the being platform native, which is what you're saying about like customizing, that's so critical. And the only way to, the only way to get there is if you have the people downstream where when you're recording live, you're kind of like, okay, I know I've got the editor or two editors or whatever who are going to take this and make it a thousand times. I know they're going to, or whatever, eight different ways. So I'm going to record this strategically, but give them the raw asset. The problem is we're recording it and then we're cutting it down and then we're editing it. And I'll spend like three hours on an edit and then be like, I'm, I'm gas. Like I I can't do another edit. I don't want to do another edit. So I a hundred percent agree with that. I think I want to, I want to get back to this, but one, one thought before I lose it to your point around people, not pulling views. This is why I think that I had this like realization The legacy thinking is that followers matter. The new thinking is that reach matters. Followers don't matter anymore. And so the thing is, all these people are in the legacy mindset where they're like, okay, my only goal is to increase followers. And if I increase followers, I'll increase the amount that brands will pay me. But I think brands are getting more sophisticated where brands are paying for the outcome. The outcome is reach. The outcome is not how many people pressed follow. The outcome is how many eyes were engaged and watched this and took the action. And so because of that, people don't approach the quality quantity formula correctly. I think the way they're approaching it now would fit with the legacy model, which is like pump as much possible content to the existing followers, keep them satiated, whatever. That is not how it works anymore. And I think because of that mismatch, that's why we've went, we've been winning so quickly is because we're approaching it from a different way. We're approaching quality. Like every piece of content is not necessarily a piece of art, but like the better it is, the more it stands out and the more reach it gets. Now brands maybe haven't caught up fully from a monetization perspective, which is, one of the things we wanna do in terms of scaling on the deal side is like putting in new structures so that we can take advantage of the fact that brands care about reach and not followers. But that, that was just one point I wanted to make really quick on that. Um, around the systems, what you're saying with the team, I totally agree. And basically like the for the listener, the way we're approaching this is we're basically trying to team up on this where we have the same person who's managing us on the deal side where we can ideally build a joint team of like the ideator the editors whatever and you do that for a few reasons one it helps spread the cost across right so you have less risk but two most every person you're using is not going to be utilized 40% or 40 hours a week on just one person's content because there's a lot of like bottlenecks and sequencing in the process so if you have multiple pieces of people multiple channels th- that allows you to like get more out of the 40 hours per week you're paying for so it's a combination of like, it's a risk hedge, but it's also an amplification. Like the way that one plus one will equal 10 when we have a team across both of us is, I think, going to be uncharted. Like, I don't think we've really seen that before because any any duo we see usually has one combined channel, but we have a combined and also our own, which means it's going to create this like amazing network effect. So that's how we're thinking about it at a high level. But I like what you said about we should, let's keep going on like the individual roles. Cause I like how you went about that. Like someone just straight ID ideas. That'd be amazing if every morning you and I just logged onto Slack and there's like 30 amazing ideas. And we we're just like, okay, which one grabs us? Then the repurposer. I also think having, uh, having like an, you almost need like a native editor for not for every platform, but like you need somebody who's super TikTok focused or like super Instagram focused, not somebody who can like give a little strategy, but like actually just is a machine at making TikToks and they take the raw in and like an amazing TikTok comes out. What other what other roles do you think we need?
1: Yeah, I mean, ideally, I think we talked about it in the last show, but um, I think you and I are kind of on the same page here. Like ideally, I would just love to create the piece of a role, send it off. And I trust that the team is gonna edit it correctly for each platform. They're gonna maximize distribution. I mean, we got guys even like putting it on LinkedIn as a carousel, whatever it might be, redesigning it as a carousel. I think Sahil Bloom does this pretty well um and they're also posting it they're gathering the data they're looking at the analytics um we'll go in there and comment like you know interact or whatever with the comments but literally like i want to get to the point where i'm involved heavily in the creative process and the script writing process i'm recording i'm doing the a roll and then i'm on to the next i'm not even really thinking about that piece of content anymore like we'd love i think to have a team that's even handling all the data all the analytics looking at what's performing well uh putting an ad spend on the ones that perform disproportionately well to our, to our average numbers, et cetera, et cetera, and, like, building out that machine. Like, we both know how to do it, uh, but we can't clone ourselves ten times. So it's like, I've always thought about this, man. I wish I could – Um, I don't know if this sounds like pompous or whatever, but I wish I could clone myself. Like, I feel like if I had, like, ten Robertos in a room, we'd build, like, the ultimate engine. you probably feel the same way about the Callaway brand. Um, and so I think that's the – um that that's just – that's sort of the challenge is uh, is how do we – build that I forgot your original question
0: that was that was probably a better offshoot anyway than whatever I was saying I I, I I feel like a thing on that is well one I guess two points I I basically slept so poorly that like I can't retain two thoughts at once so I'm like I'm trying to like say them out before I forget but basically before we and we were talking we were texting about this which I think this is also really helpful for someone listening before you build the amplification at the top of funnel, you have to have something at the bottom that people are actually converting on or else all that attention comes in and then you are adding to the audience and like building the audience, but you're not, that's a high cost to build a huge team to amplify. Like let's say our cost was 20K a month. We need some revenue to offset that. So what I was what I was realizing is like, okay, it's pretty logical for us to come to the conclusion that like we need these roles and if we had these roles, we'd be able to grow so fast and we'd be able to put out 60 pieces of content a week and the audience would grow. But none of that matters if you have no way to monetize that audience. And brand deals is one way, but like we're trying to get away from that if possible. And so, we have to figure out where do you cha- where do you funnel the traffic so that it converts. One way is the the course, which we can talk about. Are thinking on that separately? But there's a like, you have to have something at the bottom, or else it's like a super leaky bucket. And so that's one thing I wanted to say. Let's we can talk about the course in a second. One way to frame this too that I was thinking is when you were in school, like the way school's designed is you wanna get all A's. You wanna get good grades in every subject. And if if you had four, if you had five classes and you had four A's and one C, nobody's like, yo, amazing on those four A's. Everyone's like, your parents, everyone is like, yo, you gotta get that C up. And then your brain is focused to like improve the weakness because the goal is to get all A's. And what I'm realizing is that isn't how the real world works. The real world is... You want to get an A plus 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 in one thing and then hire people for the other four subjects that get A plus 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 because you're not going to be as good at them as them. And so it goes to what you were saying of like, we wish we could clone ourselves, but even if I cloned myself, I'm really good at the script writing and distillation, which is the same with you. But I I would only be like an 8 out of 10 good at the ops at my max potential which is not how my brain works but there is somebody out there who's a 12 out of 10 at ops and it's like it's actually hurting our business if if we were to clone ourselves it would hurt us to be in the areas we're not optimally designed for and so that's that's an example of like thinking with leverage it completely goes against what society trains you to think because it's all these people that are employees at companies they're constantly like, I gotta improve my weaknesses. I gotta be well-rounded. I gotta like do all the things that I'm not good at so that I'm good at everything. That's actually not the ideal approach, which is something I've been trying to train myself on.
1: Well said, well said. Um, so I, want, I guess I wanted to talk about, not, not to necessarily segue away, but we were talking about different platforms. Um, I think you and I probably put a lot of our focus on like Instagram as our sort of main audience. Um, for me in particular, I know that like TikTok is almost like my testing grounds. I will like trial pieces of content out there just to try to get some data. And if it works well, then I might post it on Instagram. If I know it's going to work well on both platforms, I'll go congruent. But how do you think about, um, we're, we're talking about the TikTok and Snapchat opportunities. What opportunities do you think, like for you, let's say for Callaway brand, how are you thinking about them and what opportunities do you think those present?
0: Yeah. Well, the Snapchat, I forget why I wrote the TikTok opportunity, but the Snapchat opportunity is, is massive. So, okay. This is, this is something that I've, I took a very dumb approach to I'll say. So basically anytime you hear multiple people say like, yo, there's a lot of money being made and not a lot of people understand, you should like run towards that to figure it out. But usually what I do and like what most people do is like, you just dismiss it because you're like, oh, I don't you know, that that signal in your head is kind of like, oh, whatever, like, I don't, I'm not on Snapchat, I don't get it, like, uh, that's not for me, and you just, you just dismiss. And that's what I did. Like, six months ago, I heard from, like, multiple people that, like, I saw it on a podcast where the influencers were talking about, you know, they have podcasts, and they have Instagram, and they have everything, and they were saying on the podcast they're making 90% of their money from Snapchat. That was my first light bulb, where I was like, holy shit, how is that possible? Like, I thought these people had really robust businesses. Then I saw a friend who make snapchat shows and you know his content's really good but on instagram and tiktok but he's like yo i'm making so much money on snapchat that was a second one and i was like how is this happening so i started going down the rabbit hole but didn't take it super seriously and so th- this is the 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 101 basically snapchat has gated shows so the only on tiktok and instagram anybody can make a, a, a profile today and you can start posting content immediately there's no like gatekeeper but on Snapchat, there's a gatekeeper. There's like this library of shows, and you have to be a you have to know a Snapchat agent or whatever they call it to get a show. So it's like it's like a monopoly. It's like a forced monopoly, which is pretty dope. So if you have a show on Snapchat, you put out these episodes, which are like two and a half to three minutes long, and they can be about anything. And Snapchat's paying 50% CPMS, meaning 50% split on like high CPMS. So meaning if and I don't even know the exact numbers, but like on a thousand views, you can make 10 bucks or maybe even more and they'll split it, whatever. It's like, it's like extremely attractive and their split. The splits are really, really high. Whereas YouTube splits may be 30% or 25%. Snapchats are 50. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. Like maybe I should just cross post my existing videos on Snapchat again, because I'm spending three hours editing. I'm not going to make another video for Snapchat. It's just too much. And like their platform to load it is crappy. So I was like, whatever, I'll just cross post. I started cross posting and I posted on the Snapchat spotlight and my followers like going up, going up, going up, going up. I have like 35,000 followers on Snapchat now. Haven't monetized those in that way. Cause I think you need a hundred thousand followers to get like the ad split, but the show is completely different. So this guy reached out to me like a homie who went to my school and was like, yo, I manage like 20 Snapchat shows. I have a couple Snapchat shows. Have you ever thought about making these Snapchat shows? And I was like, no, never thought about it. But like, whatever, if we work out a rev share and you guys want to you know, publish it for me, like, just let me know what I have to do. Like, if I can just give you my raw video and you do all the publishing and tagging and commenting and stuff, and I'll do a rev share all day, like that's no extra work for me. So we started doing that, but it didn't work. Like the views were super low. And I was like, and I was giving them all my content and they were grouping it together and it didn't work. Like on, on spotlight, I was getting 50,000 views on a, on a random Snapchat story, but on these I was getting paid nothing. So I kind of just wrote it off in my mind. This was stupid, but like in in uh, maybe a few months ago, I was just like, whatever, like, I'll just keep giving it to him, but like, this is not going to go anywhere. I wrote it off. Then this weekend, I listened to this podcast with Brett Melanowski. I don't know if you know this guy. I think he's like a yeah, crypto, crypto he's, crypto he's, G. Yeah, he's yeah, so yeah. good. And he had this podcast that came out like seven months ago with these two 15 year olds that were making $500,000 a month on Snapchat. And I was like, and obviously I clicked that thumbnail and so I started listening to it. And what they were saying is like, there is a format for Snapchat that's different than all of the other channels. And a lot of it is like faceless. It's not, it's actually bad to have your face. So I went back to my Snapchat guy like this week and I was like, yo, what would it take for us like really blow this out? Like how much are the creators, are the biggest earners in your guys' little network making? And he's like 70 grand a month. And I was like, holy shit. All right, so what do I need to do to like actually blow this out? And he's like, all you have to do is just record audio scripts no video give me give it to me and i will make the video in a way that works for snapchat and so i was like all right sick so this last week i gave him 5 and he's starting to post them so it's still too early to know like hopefully that was like a good cliffhanger story for everyone listening but hopefully it's too early to know how much it's going to make or like how it's doing but i'm pretty confident that like if he knows the format and he knows what he's doing and i'm making scripts that are like already pretty good and performing elsewhere it should work so, yeah, I mean, moral of the story, I think there's a massive opportunity on Snapchat, specifically because it's underappreciated by most people and it's gated because there's only six thousand Snapchat shows or what, ten thousand Snapchat shows versus millions of social accounts. So I don't know if if that resonates with you in any way, but I'm kind of I'm willing to be the canary in the coal mine on Snapchat and like figure out if there's a there there, and if there is a there. We're putting shit on snapchat yeah <laughs> it's i think simple. that's
1: valuable man uh because I, I i originally remember i mean the biggest indicator that snapchat was a huge opportunity was when david dobrik was like the biggest youtuber at the time decided to drop youtube just to go in, all in on snapchat yeah right because and i and i looked at that and i said well that's not like conducive to my lifestyle nor like the the type of content i put out because really what it is is he's just like snapping random parts yeah. of his life all day And he like brings dope creators together and he's always like doing amazing stuff and like just living this extravagant life because it, you know, it makes the show a little bit more interesting. So it's like, it's like these Snapchat creators are like reality TV, really on steroids. Um, And I'm like, okay, that would never work for me. I don't live a life that's so interesting that everybody's going to like, people are going to see me in my office working and freaking making content all day. That's not that interesting. Yeah. But the show idea is super compelling and then packaging it up under either... It could be like a weekend show or a metaverse show, a Luna show, whatever it is, and like creating different shows around different niches. That's super compelling. And I don't know really anything about Snapchat. I actually don't use it. I don't remember the last time I like opened it up anything. So it's like, I really need to start paying attention. Um, so like you said, you're going to be sort of like the Guinea pig trialing this faceless stuff. That'll yeah. be really interesting for you to report back in, in a few episodes. See if how this, does. if
0: this works, we'll definitely, we'll make, we can make a weekends channel. We, we can show like we can get multiple shows and then, you and I can just pump content into Snapchat. Like this this team's really good at, at doing it and they run these other these other shows. The thing about what you were describing with Snapchat, for people who don't know, there's basically two ways to make money on Snapchat. One way is what David Dobrik was doing, which is, and the requirements to qualify are insane. You have to have 100,000 yeah. followers on Snapchat and you have to be posting 100 snaps a day. That's like yeah. 100 Instagram stories a day. And basically every 10, they'll feed an ad in and you're getting paid 50% on the ad splits. So these you know people like david dobrik whatever who have 5 million people think about the impressions on 100 stories for 5 million people a day that's so high he's getting paid so much that's one bucket and the show thing is the other which is why i discounted it because i didn't realize the show was separate i thought it was kind of the same thing so yeah we'll circle back on that but huge opportunity there um, oh i remember what i was saying for the tick what i was thinking for the tiktok so People, you know how people are making so much money with TikTok Shop right now? Like if, if yep. people are saying like, oh, this is like YouTube 2008 or like Google Ads 2003, whatever. It's like one of those early in the cycle. It, this is the first one where I actually understand mechanically why it's working because like we make content, we make short form, we make TikTok, we know how to drive action. The thing that I was thinking about is like, <sighs> this: it would be like having a fire hose with no water. Like we have no product to push. So it's like, it's so frustrating that if you have an e-commerce brand and you have like a, I don't know, like a speaker that's $40 and it's like 70% margin and you, and you are as good as we are at making content, you'd be printing millions of dollars a year, selling printing. that speaker immediately. The frustrating thing for me and you is like, we care about our trust so much with the audience. I'm willing to pump something that I really like, but I don't have a product to pump. So it's like all this horsepower and nowhere to gallop. It's like, we, we got to clip. We got to clip that for the intro, but like, like what, it's so frustrating to me that every, I recognize the opportunity. I see how it's working. We'd be better at most people than doing it. And we just don't have anything to push.
1: Yeah, man, it's like, I'm, I'm pretty good at recognizing these arbitrage opportunities. Like you said, it's super early cycle and the people playing in this now that are figuring it out now are going to reap incredible reward. I have some buddies actually who are just making ridiculous, obscene amounts of money on, on TikTok. So it does suck that we're not equipped uh, to, to you know, really take advantage of this opportunity. It's like, I wish that we had some sort of physical product, even if it was something simple, a hat, a shirt, some socks, whatever it would be just yeah. to take advantage because, I definitely understand how it's working. I do think it's something that's going to slow down relatively quickly. I think early econo- economics, it's obviously some some sort of a, a loss leader. TikTok is willing to eat that, like, billion-dollar cost or whatever it will be to just get this engine running because um, they're giving everybody basically free money, I believe. I forget how much, like $10, $20. You can claim the coupon to go buy something on TikTok shop. All that will eventually run out, just like anything else. It'll sort of even out to the point where there's not really, like, a early mover opportunity anymore, and it's just like – know, par for the course, sort of like influencer marketing. When I was in there early, man, I was getting installs on my apps for like a penny. And now if you're <laughs> going to go to an influencer, it might actually be cheaper nowadays to just run ads regularly native to the platforms ad spend. The same thing will work out like over time with TikTok shop. So it does suck. We're not equipped, but if anybody listening, if you are equipped, if you have a product, a physical product to sell and your margins are decent. You'd be a fool not to literally spend the next 72 hours just studying this and figuring out how you can leverage it and partnering up with creators to do so because it is a massive opportunity
0: and i feel like the so the i agree the arbitrage will close in terms of like people with free money but i i don't think the the behavior pattern of people buying from short form that's not going away like maybe tiktok shop is a a shitty execution of it but like I would be surprised if Instagram didn't eventually figure out how to get people to shop from shorts and have like that integrated experience. And I think, like you said, that maybe the margins or the economics won't be as favorable, but I do think that behavior is going to exist. Like it is now a new, it's like basically like a live shot. It's a new channel. And yeah, what's frustrating is like, if you think about like the tactic, I like getting in the weeds for people. So like, if you think about the tactics of us actually approaching it, like, let's say me and you were, we were like, yeah, we were, let's say we we're a black hat. And we were like, yo, we're, like, we're making money from this one way or another. How can we do it? The easy way would be you go find a product that you like and you, and you take the 20% affiliate. So you basically like, let's take my boy, uh, Dan's like creatine gummies, which I take every morning. He's on TikTok shop. So I could, and I was, I was planning on doing this just to test to see how it worked, like not to push it super hard, but like I make a video about my health routine. I include the creatine gummies in the video. I link the creatine gummies it's like 80 bucks to get a monthly supply and it's super fat margin for him. And it's 20% affiliates so that's 16 bucks for me. So that's, that's, that's okay. Like that would work. The problem is you can't make more than one video or you're going to sacrifice audience trust. And I'm only getting 20 cents on the dollar. Like I want, I want the 80 cents. So one way is you do the affiliate thing, but you're going to risk audience trust. If you don't, if you do it more than once, the other way is you go get your own product and that's the other black hat option is like you go to the TikTok shop and you buy like a super crappy alibaba knockoff product and then you own the product and you get the 80 percent upside but then you sacrifice audience trust because the product sucks so it's like both roads lead to product suck or losing trust unless you have a killer product and i just don't think you can like manifest an amazing product that you own overnight like that takes it takes yeah. six to 12 months you know to incubate it
1: i agree with you i mean Two things there. One on TikTok is, I mean, I think you can do multiple because the thing with TikTok is, most of your audience probably won't be seeing that video anyways. It's so, all like new, Like that's the cool thing about TikTok is you can post a hundred video. Like you can just keep posting over and over and over. It Doesn't really matter. Only the ones that hit the for you page for your audience uh, are the ones that do matter to your already existing audience. And very little. If you post a hundred videos, I would I would wager that like maybe two hit that for you page. You know, to like your existing audience. I don't. So I don't think it's that that big of a deal. So I think, I think you should actually do it if the, if the, if the product is quality. Um, but then the other thing, it's like, I agree with you that behavior, like everybody, I dude, so much shit that I buy is from Instagram or like a creator talking about something or some Instagram ad, TikTok. So hundred percent, like the discovery is always going to exist. That behavior is always going to exist. And now you're cutting out like one extra step, like going to Amazon or going to the products website, you're just buying straight from the platform so you're right. Like that's going to become bigger and bigger. I think Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, everybody eventually goes down that route. But one thing that I have noticed is like audience fatigue is real. And I've already seen in my behavior and I've seen in a lot of TikTok comments and I feel like this is already permeating sort of that culture. But anytime you see eligible for commission, you're already, you're already training your brain to skip. Yeah. And so, yes, it's going to be, by the way, the first time banner ads were out on the internet, I, I don't really remember, but I'm sure it was huge. People were clicking them left and right. And then you train your brain to just, same as uh, uh, X, Twitter ads. I just, when I see one, I just swipe. I don't even, like, bother to read anything. So, like, I feel like the same thing might happen on TikTok, where, yes, if you're the best of the best, your ad will be seen because you're nailing the hook, you're figuring out the storytelling angle, da-da-da-da. But, like, 99% of it would just be, like, the next banner ad, where you're just, like, fatigued and, and you train your brain to swipe. And so, that is the part where I feel like that could be a negative hit to your brand, if like yeah. when you're training your brain to swipe, oh, it's that same creator, that same dude doing another eligible for commission. I feel like that, like if, if you're doing that output like super, super heavily, it could be bad for your brand. But I don't know what I I you agree. think about I that, agree. like that audience fatigue part.
0: I think the V1 interaction design for short form video ads is suboptimal, where like the way it is now, it really feels like you're putting an ad sticker, like you're putting a this is an ad huge sticker over it. Whereas, and so, and so it's kind of like the psychology of the maker of the video is kind of saying, Hey, buy this. But I think what you want the psychology to be is like, Hey, look at me. Like these are the things that I use. If you want to buy them, here they are. I don't care if you do or don't, you know, where you're not pushing. And so if you think about Instagram, there's a lot of dope people on Instagram that make videos where I'm just like, damn, that hat is sick. Or like, damn, they're like the, the bike they have is really cool. And if there's, if native tools develop where it's easy for that person, or even with machine learning to tag those in a way that I could purchase straight from video, but they're not being like peddlers about it. To me, that's the ideal, right? Cause it's like reducing all the steps of like finding that bike, finding the brand, going to the site, clicking on it. It reduces all that. So I kind of think, I do think TikTok, I don't know why this is, but it comes off a little cheaper, like a little, uh, I don't know scammy or is the wrong word, but like it just comes off a little like not nuanced. It's but Instagram. Alibaba,
1: it's Timo products. It, it's like it's it's Chinese. You know, it's it's not like that's such an important note because the same way like Louis Vuitton would be horrified if they found their products being sold at uh, sold at Marshalls or TJ Maxx. It's the same kind of thing here where it's like it almost there's almost like a reputational hit if I were to see like a if I were to see like ALD like Dor like if some if it was like eligible for commission and some dudes like holding up I, it would almost be like a n- brand negative hit to me, right so it works for a specific type of product but I, I think if you're really trying to build a brand, especially in like the luxury sector, I think it could be a negative hit just because what you said is right man it's like it it does feel a little cheap like almost plastically pl- plasticy like the Walmart brand of of e-com you know what i mean so i, I don't know that's an interesting thing about
0: th- think about like on instagram when amy leon posts a carousel and each picture is kind of like a model dressed in like the amy Andor fit top to bottom there's sh- there just should be an easier way for me to click on that and be like i want that hat right now and not have to 100%. go to their site right so it's like th- that, that's something i was going to ask you is why why did instagram fail with the shop whatever their like shop product was that they shut down you know like they tried it for a while and they do you know why did you ever play with that like why do you think that failed
1: i think the ui was just difficult i think it was uh it, it was not intuitive at all it was a little convoluted i i never shot from there just because of that there was like a lot of friction there um i also wonder how much they would take in terms of percentage so like emily on door i don't think they'd ever sell on instagram just because they're going to sell out anyways so why yeah. take that 10 percent hit or whatever that instagram may be charging um but that's a good question. I really think it was like a, a presentation. It was just the product was was poorly designed. Um, by the way, like a lot of the back end stuff for, for meta, like Instagram, Facebook, even when it comes to just running an ad, it's a pretty convoluted process. Like even when I'm trying to, like my meta account has like four different accounts in it and like trying to navigate that is so frustrating. Um, so I just think like there's such a, there's so much into that product, right? So I just think they got to figure out a way to simplify it um so my guess is for the shop component it was just it was poorly presented poorly designed
0: the one other thought i had before we move on is yep from like a product minded perspective the way i feel like the instagram shop should work and like obviously i don't know the technical limitations so i'm sure people are going to pound the comments with this but it should be as simple as i'm scrolling i see something in the in the image or in the reel that I like, whether it's like clothes or products or whatever, I press on it. A a little tag comes up that's like, do you want to add this to cart? I press it. And then there's like a little simple cart in Instagram that I one click checkout. And if that existed, like if I I just don't understand why Instagram hasn't made thrown everything at solving that, because if that existed, think about the conversion. And you're probably right. Like the percentage they're offering to brands was too, would be too aggressive. And like, it's just another marketplace and like brands kind of want to own the experience through something like Shopify and not Instagram. But even if Instagram charged like a brand a hundred bucks a month to activate that and they took no fee, just imagine the recurring revenue that they would have from that. It's just crazy to me that that doesn't exist on the number one platform for like viewing visual stuff.
1: hundred percent. Like my, my wife follows a lot of like fashion influencers and, and mommy bloggers and she is constantly and no slight against her i'm always buying stuff on instagram too constantly buying stuff that she sees like some mommy blog okay this is really great for your kid you should buy this toy whatever she'll go and buy it and you're right she goes she she first has to like identify the brand or like go to link in bio sometimes but identify the brand click on the brand go to their link in bio go to their website find it on their on their shot so there's so much friction there so you're right man if, if it was e- as easy as Buy, her address is already saved, credit card's already saved. Just, like, click a button, choose your size, buy. Like, the amount of friction that reduces. It doesn't it make sense. Why I think they it would though. be worth probably the 10%, assuming your margins are pretty decent for most brands. And it would also automate and simplify the process of the brand creator relationship, too. It'd be much easier to sell stuff as a fashion influencer. I got on this shirt today, da da da, da. By the way, click below or click on the screen to buy. Like Yeah, I, I don't know why they sense. haven't. It really doesn't make a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, because I feel like that's the the whole push for Instagram for the whole time was like, it's free. We're going to monetize with ads, but like if we can figure out products, we'll win. It's like, yo, we've just figured out products in 30 seconds for you. Like, Just just build that experience. It doesn't make any sense to me. But we can move on. Um, Where do you want to go from here?
1: We could talk talk about... um, Go ahead. uh, First of all, let's talk about your latest video because I did really like it. It was the McDonald's new... um, themed restaurant. And I don't know if you want to go into into the concept of the video or the concept that McDonald's is pushing out. But I wanted to talk mostly about like, I think you've nailed your bread and butter in a way. And I want to see if you kind of agree with that, or if that's just something you like doing, if it's more scientific, or if there's a, a specific approach behind it. But like, when you talk about these big cult brands, what they're doing, how they're innovating, why they're doing it—it's—it's it's just like it takes this this idea that might that usually you might have to watch like a ten minute TikTok or a ten minute YouTube to really understand, and you're presenting it in a minute, ninety seconds, whatever it might be, and like every piece of information that you need to like really figure out what's going on, like you present in such a good way. So I, I don't know. I just wanted to to pick your brain a little bit. Like, is this just something you love doing? Is this how how did this all come about? And I just think it's a perfect format for you.
0: I mean, I I love that I love that format. Like the way my brain works is just like when I see something interesting, I immediately am like, "What's going on here?" And then pretty quickly, I can get to the answer. And so a good a good example of like how does this scale is like I I absolutely love finding these stories and breaking them down, scripting them out. I hate editing. I just really don't enjoy editing. It's it's a labor. I'm literally just forcing myself to run into a brick wall every single day. And the only reason I'm doing it is because I know that if I don't edit and I don't have the money to buy the edit, to pay for an editor at this point, then I'll get nowhere. So, like, it's kind of just pure will forcing myself to edit, but I really don't like it. I do like thinking about what visual at what time will make someone keep watching. I like the strategy of that, but I hate actually executing the edit with my own hands. It's like so frustrating to me. So, the good news is, that's pretty easy solve. If I just had one or two editors that were amazing and that were like more or less real time. So as soon as I'm filming, I can send it to them and they're done in six hours. I could pump two or three of these out a day. And like, I actually would really enjoy that. So that's, that's a good news. Uh, the bad news is like right now it takes me forever. Like that took me probably six hours all in to like get it done. And is six hours worth the time? We'll see in a week how many views that gets probably, but like my brain's just too active to spend six hours on one thing with no leverage. And so right. it's the reason why I haven't just stuck to that format, because that, that's a question you, you ask a lot, which I, I like, is like, yo, you have something that works it's signature to you. Why don't you keep doing it? The only reason is because it takes me so damn long to make them, and I'm like exhausted by the time I'm done because the edit wore me out.
1: So but th- if that's what, kind of where what I'm What if at. you could do the A-reel and then for a 100 bucks, because – you could probably get an editor of 75 to hundred dollars to really mimic your style. Like now that you've set your style, you could probably have that mimicked fairly accurately, right? Like by a pretty decent editor. Um, so is that something that you'd be willing to outsource? Or do you think the, is the, ed, like Casey Neistat gets offended when people ask him, do you have editors? He's like, no, that's people follow me because of my editing style. That's how I tell my stories. Is that like integral to your brand to who you are as a creator? Or are you willing to just like, yo, let me let me start piecing these out, figure out the A-roll, you guys do the rest?
0: I'm willing to piece it out. I think the, yep. the, the, the real value, the real gold is in the distillation of the idea and like getting it, telling it in like, almost like a poetic rap style format kind of is the best way to, yeah. I think about it. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the value, a lot of the retention is in the edit. So that's why you, I couldn't just farm it out to someone who wasn't good because You would notice, and like the other thing is, I'm very specific with the timing. The reason it takes me so long is because I'm constantly watching it back over and over and over, trying to understand like where's the attention breaking? Like is is there one frame too many right here where like the cadence is off to my ear? And that's why a lot of my videos are so dialed in. I feel like is because I spend all that time. When when you start paying somebody whose literally literal incentive is to get it done as fast as possible, you start losing some of that icing. But maybe I could just like offload 90% of it and then get the last 30 minutes myself. So I, I do really want to outsource this like as soon as possible. Um I was gonna say one other thing. Oh, well, a point on that is I filmed the first build-along today. So sweet. Dude, these are the build-alongs are so A, you were right. It is way more exhausting and takes way longer than I thought. Like I, I so far I only filmed the script writing part, but I think it's gonna be so valuable. Like as I was recording it, I was like, God damn, if I just had this when I was starting and just could watch somebody talk through this, it would be gold. So I'm excited to put that one out. I'm not gonna do the same process I did for the editing part. It would just take me too long to edit it. Yeah. For the for I don't the script it's required. Yeah. I'm just gonna put it out, put the video out, and then on the edit, I'll just like record my screen for five minutes, walking through the edit that's already done and kind of be like, here's what I did in the edit for this part. Here's why I was thinking of it, but it'll already be done. It's not me doing it live. The script I like literally wrote out live. It was was kind of like weird, honestly. There were some 10 to 15 second patches where it was just silent and I was just thinking. And I was like, damn, I don't know if someone's gonna be like (laughs) wanting to watch this. But yeah, so to your point around like where the value is, I feel like it's in that script part.
1: Are there any updates on... We were talking about bringing your, your newsletter to kind of life as a YouTube video, not over-edited. I, I asked because I recently, um, there's a guy named, I forget his name. I'm looking it up right now. Okay, Tintin Smith. He's, he's head of YouTube at, uh, of operations for Ali Abdal, who's one of the biggest YouTubers, productivity YouTuber. And he said one of Ali's recent one of 10 videos was one that wasn't edited at all. Ali just turned on a camera for 44 minutes and talked about a life update. Um, he he kind of like made, he, he says, what viewers want on YouTube appears to be shifting. People are growing increasingly tired of over edited content and searching for more personalities and more emotional connect- connection. And we, we talked about it with Sam Sulek. Ali uploaded this video. He just turned on the camera and talked, no editing whatsoever. And just like, got real vulnerable about where he is, what he plans on doing, where his channel is, his successes, his failures, et cetera. So I'm like, that's perfect for the blueprint, right? And so have you given any more thought to that? I'm also going to try to be experimenting with YouTube where it's not really edited. It's just me talking. And then it might have, like, corresponding and relevant images and pictures right next to me, like right here um
0: but no like zooms no cuts no that.
1: zooms no anything fancy and i kind of feel like it's a wave it might not work for me because i'm new to youtube nobody knows me or cares whereas like ali's been around for five years and he's got a big audience yeah. maybe that's why but so i, I do want to experiment with this and i want to see if you've given it any more thought uh, for blueprint
0: that's what i was gonna say is i feel like the reason that worked so well for him is because he's already well known it's not that it couldn't work well for someone unknown but to get known when you're unknown, you'd have to have somebody sift through the 40 minutes of the fluff. But Makes sense. I think that's the only way I can do the blueprint stuff because it just doesn't make sense for it to be super over edited. The only the only way I could over edit it would be like, here's five strategies I learned for this, and it's just like that's corny as fuck. Like I I really just don't want to do I don't want to do it like that. I've been waiting until I got the set the new setup fixed so that I could do the blueprint one. But to be honest, I might just shoot the first one with this setup that I have and see how it goes. But I mean, if non edited stuff is working, dude, look out because me and you can just spit off the dome for 40 minutes really easy. And like editing was the moat. I feel like before, if I don't have to edit, I mean, let's go,
1: let's go back to the piece of content that you're making. That's taking you six hours and you're trying to figure out like where the ROI is, right? Like what return am I getting on this time investment? But another thing that I've been thinking about a lot is like, and it's this, the tricky part is how to present this to a brand, but Again, we always talk about somebody with 5,000 followers, but those followers are very high quality, um, is always worth more than somebody with 100,000 followers who, I don't know, who, who may not have the same sort of economic, uh, financial, political influence, whatever it may be, right? So to, to give a real world example, you see a lot of guys on Twitter that might have 50,000 followers, but their followers are like literally politicians uh c-suite executives big decision makers at fortune 500 they're their vp of marketing they're vp um a lot of vcs as an example and these guys like can move markets you know you might have a guy like i don't know keith Raboy who has like 300k on instagram who has infinity times more impact through his words through his content than like a spectacle youtuber spectacle tiktoker that's dancing with 20 million followers you know what i mean and so um this is where I'm going with this is like that kind of content that you're making, I think attracts a very high quality person. It's probably not going to attract like the 14 year old who just wants to be entertained by some dance or some, you know, crazy entertainment spectacle, but it's going to get a VP of marketing. Yeah. Or it's, it's, it's going to get like these really impactful decision makers at these really dope companies. And uh, I would wager that your audience, their, I guess like their economic influence or like the, let's say like their economic status is much higher than you know if, if you were like doing dances or, or making jokes or comedy yeah. sketches on tiktok it's that like makes it's sense. like
0: the ltv per follower is much higher or like not ltv but like the value per follower is much higher when you're content this is why
1: Callaway's so dope with words man what <laughs> took me five minutes took him five seconds to say but um the the problem with this is like how do you then package it because yeah. a brand, you can't it's it's hard to go to a brand and be like well my ltv per follower is higher than you know, like it, yeah. it's worth this much, and they're gonna look at nah. This person has eight hundred thousand followers. I think we'll go with them for the same price. It's like, wait a second, no. That's the only problem with with that. It's like the metric is a little bit hard to present um, to brands.
0: Well, this is where the this is where the creator and residence concept comes in, which like we're gonna we're gonna pioneer. And I don't know if have we ever talked about the creator and residence thing on this podcast because I can talk uh, about I think it you again. You mentioned but...
1: it. I don't think we've gone too deep into it. No.
0: Yeah, because my so like as context. I was thinking about this my following like the actual number of followers i have doesn't grow as fast as other people and the reason why is because most people that have really fast growing followings they do one thing and it's a binary decision whether you want to follow for that thing or not right so like let's take let's take someone uh i don't know like someone who's making vr content let's say and like they're the vr guy or like they're a vr guy girl whatever All they do is make VR stuff. When you come across their stuff and you click through their profile, and in their bio they're like, "I make VR content." It's like as simple as that. You basically have a very simple decision: Do I want to follow this person for VR stuff or not? It's it's very binary. Like, do I want VR content or not? And those types of people, when the the topic they make content about, if they're good at it and that topic is in vogue, they grow super fast if they're making good content because. Everybody wants that skill set. That's why like AI dedicated channels grew super fast. That's why I met, like Web3 stuff grew super fast. It's Correct. the same thing. Correct. But for someone like me, I'm intentionally making videos across multiple topics because that's just what I care about. Sometimes it's AI, sometimes it's McDonald's, whatever. But packaging that in, into a single sentence, into a single topic is very difficult, it's impossible to do. Which means when someone watches a video of mine and they click through to my profile, there's often a dissonance between the topic they just saw and the other things they're seeing, which means less people will follow. In the past, that would have been a problem because all the value is based on followers. But now it's not a problem because the value is really based on reach. So if I just make hit after hit after hit that just gets millions of views every single time and I don't have a big following, as long as the person who's selling me to brands can package that effectively, then I'm fine. And if you're a savvy brand marketer, what you should really care about is reach and like engagement of Like like total number of engagement, not necessarily percentage of engagement, although that should matter. But like total number of engagements. So to me, is like it's tough in this interim period because there's a lot of legacy brand thinkers that look at the follower count. They don't look at anything else, and they they kind of write you off based on follower following whatever. But I would argue to say that the people that follow me must have really liked me because they've stuck around for all sorts of different shit. It could have been sports, music, AI, whatever. And so, to your point, that's where it bridges to this creator and residence idea, which we were talking to some guys the other day. Basically, like the whole idea of brand deals and brand partnerships is completely broken, in my opinion. The way it works is a brand marketer will take a budget, and they'll shotgun spend across a variety of different creators. Basically not knowing what's gonna work or what's not gonna work. They're, they're basically gambling with the marketing funding, hoping, it's like a VC bet, they're hoping that a couple creators go viral and the other ones it doesn't matter so that it it returns right, the spend. Right. That's that's dumb, Like that, that isn't how it should work. How it should work, in my opinion, is the creator goes to the brand, they have a set rate, they're like, hey, I'm gonna make content about you if I want to or not. If I do and it gets above a certain threshold of whatever metric you care about, whether that's views, views plus engagement, conversions, you pay me my rate regardless. If it doesn't get above that certain level, you don't pay me anything. So it's no risk for you. But in exchange for getting rid of that risk, you're gonna pay me slightly higher rates if it does hit. Now, if I'm a brand marketer, that's a dream because then I've got all these creators that if it works, I pay them and I'm happy to pay them because obviously it, it's valuable. And if it doesn't work, I don't pay them anything. So that's how creator and residence works is like, we're gonna have a guy go to these big brands and put these deals in place for me, you, a couple other people, And imagine it's Google and we say, Hey Google, if we get over a million views, you're paying, you're cutting us a check for 10 grand. It's like, it's as simple as that. If we don't get over a million views, you know, maybe they will be tearing, but like, if we don't get over a million views, you pay us nothing. And by the way, like we're the ones who move markets in this anyway. So we have the right to make up to six videos a month for you. If, if we want, we don't have to use all six. We don't have to make any, if we don't want to, it's kind of like up to our discretion. We have full creative control, no edits. And Google, if I'm a savvy marketer at Google, I'm like, yo, Make all the content you want. Because at the end of the day, every video we put out is just a piece of real estate. That's all it is. It's digital real estate that, that a brand is paying to rent from you for a period of time. So if it's working, Google will be like, yo, let's up your cap from six to 12 per month. You can do as many as you want. Yep. We want all of that because there's no risk. So to so your point about like to bring it the full circle, and I'm, I talk really fast on this because I've thought about this a lot. I'm very passionate about this model because I think it works really well for us. The way you get more money or more value for your higher LTV per user is by structuring the deal with creator and residence formats where you're paid more on the upside because you can have a ton of upside kickers like athletes do. If you get over 80 catches this year, you're getting a million dollar bonus. We can have the same thing with Google, right? Google pays us $10,000 if we get over a million views, but if we get over 5 million views, they pay us $30,000. It's kind of like incentives are much more aligned that way
1: absolutely man dude that would be a dream deal like i would love to have that with like meta apple google OpenAI, as an example where i'm already covering like all the big things that are coming out of their ecosystem whether it's on my personal brand or on metaverse aluna whatever so that would just be like again like when tiktok brought out their creativity program it's like cool this is like free money because this is content that i'm making anyway so that would be a dream the only downside would be um i would still like free reign and i'm I'm assuming like savvy marketers would also appreciate this but like free reign because i'm this thought is going to go in two directions, but one is if I don't like something, I'm going to start saying that now, right? Because like one thing that's sort of turned me off of the AI ecosystem and like AI specific and AI only creators is everything is, this is the most incredible thing in the world. This is the unbelievable. This is going to change everything. I've fallen into that trap as well. A, because some of this stuff is changing the world and is world changing and revolutionary. Um, but B, because it sort of works. And so I'm like, wait a second, man. I don't want to just be known as like, even though I am eternally a techno optimist, like tech optimist, I don't want to be known as this guy who's just gassing everything. Sometimes like the humane AI pin, I thought that was a uh, an L and I came out and I said that. <laughs> but if I'm being paid by these brands to like continually post, like if Meta comes out with something that I think is a complete flop, I want to be able to say that. And so that would be my only worry. And again, like, I guess if like money is the only goal, then, you know, fuck it, no problem. Like, you got to do what you got to do. But like, I think at the end of the day, the ultimate currency for any creator is the trust with your audience. Like that's what we're all optimizing for. I think that's what we're all after. And if you can get trust uh, with an audience at scale, I think that's when you're like, you're just really put on like Gary Vee said it. Well, he's like, you know, I'll I'll make a piece of content for a brand. Um, That piece of content might get the same views as like an up and coming, like brand new creator, but that brand is going to pay me 10 times more because my words are 10 times more impactful or a hundred times or whatever it is. And so, at the end of the day, I think I think trust is the ultimate currency, and um, so just well, there's like a way I to said, get around. I went that, two right? ways with that thought. I'm kind of like on a tightrope, pulling myself apart. But I, I don't know if you have any thoughts to add there.
0: So there's a way to, there's a way to get around that problem, which is or not even get around it. But it's basically like the deal's in place, but it's it's up to your discretion whether you submit a video to get paid or not. Right. So like the way it would work mm, is there'd be a portal it. with Meta and any video you put in the portal as long as it hits the metrics they have to pay you for it but if you want to be negative around meta for a video you just don't put it in the portal like that gives you free creative control and then you know from their perspective if you bash them enough they're probably going to be like yo we're going to terminate you from this deal cuz like we just it's not worth paying you on the good ones for the bad ones but that's but you get that option as a creator to say what you want make what you want and that's that's what all you want right as a, all i want as a creator is free license to roam and when I make something that hits, the brand pays me accordingly. That's all I want. I don't want anything else. I don't, I don't want to have to deal with these dink and dump deals, these like little transactional deals where I don't have creative control. You go back and forth on the edits. It doesn't make sense. And a brand doesn't want to pay me five grand for the risk that my video might not hit that day. And the truth is we all have misses. Like there, there is no guaranteed virality. So why would a brand pay money when they're not guaranteed performance When when there's a superior model where they just pay a little bit more if they're guaranteed the performance to me that is, it's like a no-brainer
1: i love that i think there may be a game to a way to game this but I you could build this into kind of like the system but i mean you know at a five dollar cpm let's say on average you can buy a million views for five grand so if you're getting paid 10 grand it's like an infinite money glitch and printer but i'm assuming yeah. the 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 brands would have a way to kind of like counteract that um you need engagement but to the reason like i like mentioned this. that is because i think this would be an incredible SaaS product to build, or incredible company really to build, right? That's to, what I was to work as the intermediary, um, because I do think, as you said, like any big brand with Savity marketing team, they would jump all over this. And I think the value—I mean, they're only paying when they're getting that ROI, that return back, right? And so I think I think it's a no-brainer. And I think like ha- building a company or a system out of this is is a huge opportunity.
0: The big brain play is the marketplace, right? That's exactly what I was thinking. Yep. Where you basically. So that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to do. Like I, I I haven't found the, like with blueprint, I'm super transparent with the, with these we're super transparent. I haven't really found the right balance of like, should we hold stuff and not put it out? We kind of just like say our best ideas out. I don't, I don't know if that's going to bite us in the ass or not, but like the way to me, the way we do this and we're going to do it is we're going to pilot this. We're going to go to the big brands. We already have enough leverage and enough weight behind us in this category where we can get the big brands to try it. We're gonna then build the systems for ourselves so that it's automated, and then we're gonna build that infrastructure. We're gonna build that infrastructure as a marketplace SaaS product. So like, imagine you and like I said, we can cut this if we think it's too valuable. But like, imagine if, imagine you just have a lot of pipes on one end. These are every brand. You have a lot of pipes on the other end, every creator. And in the middle, you just have our SaaS product, which is like anytime any brand wants to flip the switch on, flip the put the water through the pipes to any creator for, and they set the rate. They can do it immediately. They can turn it off immediately. The payments flow through the, p- like this is how deals should work. There should be no bullshit like waste with PR firms going back and forth and like all this overhead that brands are paying. It makes no sense. So to me, this is like the best idea. It's the, it's the most realistic idea for solving a problem that you wouldn't know unless you were a creator trying to get brand deals that I've come up with. And I think it's going to exist one way or another.
1: I love that. And I think the incentive structure is perfectly aligned between both parties. Yeah.
0: All right. So, yeah, you, you can give me the give me the thumbs up to cut that if we need to. <laughs> but I think, it's, I no, think it's keep it. I love that. Man. I think
1: we should be as transparent as possible in this pod. And I think part of the magic of weekends, again, when we when we're at episode 100, looking back at earlier episodes, it's like, you know, how many of these things actually manifested? How many of these things came true? How many were W's? What were the failures? What can we learn from the failures? Like there's so much to to look back on. Um, and sort of reflect on, which I think will be really interesting come yeah. future episodes. And once we have that savvy savvy creative team around us, they're going to be able to identify these opportunities and they're going to be really intimately familiar with the entire content database and understand how Gary Vee's team does this really well. Well, they'll they'll unearth clips of him from 2013, make that connection to now, and it's just magic, right? Yeah. And it works really, really well on social. So I think that'll be exciting.
0: I would love to eventually have someone like Gary Vee well obviously we don't want to have him on but like someone someone who like runs his team to come on and talk about like how the team is structured what are the roles how the systems are actually built cuz that's another thing i was thinking of is like we want to get like our homies on to brainstorm which we should definitely once we go two times a week we'll definitely start doing that but it would just be helpful to hear from like the Colin and Samir COO or like the Gary VC like how oh, are they man. actually building
1: these teams i, like, I know um Krainak. And, uh, and Tyler from, from Gary V's team, who are both, like, just savages. I think some of the best in the game when it comes to thinking about social media. Um, so I could definitely invite them on. I think Cranach right now is, is leading V Friends, but I think he was the head or one of the heads of Gary V's social team. Um, I, I've always sort of just wanted to chat with him and pick his brain because, like, he's he's at the cutting edge. He's one of the leaders of this entire game. So that would be a really, really dope guest to just have on and, and you know, shoot the shit chop game up with him
0: yeah let's for sure do that where do you want to go where do you want to go from here maybe one more topic and then do the the uh create future creators of the week
1: let's do the um i'd love to reiterate your story framework um i think this is super valuable and this will exist as a clip in itself so maybe i can like intro it let's do it all right cool so you um Again, you were on Callum Johnson's podcast a few weeks ago, and I keep touching on this pod just because I think it's a must-listen, and uh, I think if you enjoy you know, what we're putting out um, with weekends, you should go and listen to that pod. There's just a lot of signal there. One of my favorite pieces of that pod, Callaway, was when you talked about your story framework, and it's funny because when you consume a Callaway video, you're just kind of like, you're not even thinking about how strategic it is, right? Like you're just listening and you're captivated and you're and it's very compelling, um, but you don't realize the science behind it. And I think there is science behind it. And like you laid it out in your story framework. So I don't know if you wanted to reiterate that framework because I think it's super valuable and I learned a lot from it as well.
0: Hell yeah. Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of different ways to format short form videos that work, a lot of different hook styles, and like layouts, whatever. The one that's worked the most consistent for me that, is exactly what I did on the messy video, which got 30 million views. I've done it on some, the Taylor Swift one that got 7 million views. And I'm asking myself why I don't do this on every single one, to be honest. But the, the, the framework is kind of three buckets. There's the hook bucket, the, the meat of it bucket, and then the end. But that's what everyone says when they talk about the story arc. So that's not novel. What's novel is like what, what I put inside of each one. So the way I do the hook on these is I call it, I had a a quippy way to say it that I'm not thinking of right now, but it's basically, it's a three-line system. The first line is what's happening. So it's like the what. So on the Leo Messi video, I was basically like, Leo Messi just changed the sports world forever. So in that one sentence right away, you're basically like, you know it's about Leo Messi, you know it's about sports, you know it's about business. So I'm giving you enough context where if you're not interested in those things, you can churn, but if you are interested in any of those things, you're probably gonna stick around for the next line. So the first thing is the what. The next is like a supporting fact that, reinforces the what in a way that would shock most people usually this is like a metric or a stat or a dollar value so and and the reason why is because you want to get people wondering why like what's coming next you just want one line to go to the next and so the what right away instead of saying like let me tell you something cool leo messi just changed the business sports forever immediately you're adding fluff you don't need that so it's like leo messi just changed the business sports forever the next line was he said no to 1.7 billion dollars When you hear that, you're like, why would he say no to 1.7 billion? Like I could not fathom saying no to that, right? Every single person's on the edge of their seat, like I cannot believe he said no to that. Now most people, average storytellers, the next line would be a supporting fact of that. So they would say something along the lines of like, and the reason he said no is because this, like they're supporting it to kind of give you the answer. What I found is the way you get real engagement is you then head fake off of where people are leaning. So it's the what, it's the support, and then it's the head fake. So when you're when you're thinking about the 1.7 billion, you're kind of like, I need to know why he said no, and the head fake is by saying, like the reason why he said like the head fake is basically saying he made a good call by saying no. It's to go with the opposite of what people would think. So I think the third line was like, it was Leo Messi just changed the business source forever. He said no to 1.7 billion, and it, he made the greatest deal in all of sports or something like that. So basically, I've got you leaning to understand why he said no, you're like, I'm gonna hear some great reason for why he said no. And then I get you with a head fake to be like, no, actually, the reason he said no is because it was, it was the best possible outcome. And you were just, you're in a puddle. Like, you are so confused and interested and curious about, like, what is going on. You basically just get hit with this tsunami of questioning. And when you do that, you got him locked. Because if you care about Leo Messi sports anything and you care about money, which most people do, you're locked in. So that's the hook piece that works really well. Super quick, three sentences, no fluff, bang. Then you get to the the meat of the video. This is where most people churn. Like it's almost impossible to get somebody to watch the whole thing unless they're really interested. Your goal in the meat of it is to, the way I said on that podcast, is to do a dance between the context and the conflict. So basically, at this point, I've got you interested. Now I wanna give you supporting facts about the story. So, you know, he, the Saudi league offered him this because of this reason. He's, he was like, oh, this would be good, but it'd be bad for my brand. But then he did something, right? You want to keep introducing these conflicts of like, but here's why he didn't do that. However, there was something else on the table, but then he went and did something else. You start introducing these conflicts and you're kind of dancing between conflict and context all the way down the story. And so we can link this for people. I'll like link the actual script, but, or you can watch in the Calum video. I think I talked about it more in depth because I pulled it up or something, but you kind of dance down, giving all the details. You want supporting facts. You want changing rhythm. You want to punch them with as many numbers and facts as possible, but you got to introduce those conflicts or people will turn. So that's the second part of it. Then the third part, which I think is super overlooked is the, the last dab, which is from hot ones. It's basically like I was saying this on, I was saying this earlier when people are watching short form, it's like they're crack addicts. Like their head is so filled with information that the only thing they can remember is like the last five seconds. They can't, they can't even think about what you've done, what you've said so far. So in the Leo Messi video, which is a minute and a half, the only thing they're remembering by the time I get to the end is like, this is about Leo Messi. You could have given, you could have given them the secret to life, but all they would remember is like, it's about Leo Messi. And what are you going to say next? So at the, so I think because of that, you gotta hit them with a banger at the end because if the end is the last thing they remember, the way to get them to share is to make the last line just as good as the first line. And a comp for this is like, if you think about baseball, usually baseball teams have really good batters bat ninth. Well, sometimes it's pitchers, but usually they have a really fast, high on base percentage people bat ninth. Why is that? Because at the end of the order, right after the top of the order comes up and you wanna set the table for the top. So if, if short form videos loop, you want the last line to be a banger and then the, it's gonna loop back to the beginning and you know that hook is a banger. So you basically hit them with all this dopamine of like bang, bang, bang. And so on the on the Leo Messi video, I said something along the lines of like, the real question is this, uh, is this gonna change how people like LeBron James and Patrick Mahomes approach their deals? And I knew people who were like, soccer fans or not soccer fans or LeBron fans are not. We're going to jump in the comments and be like, Oh, there's no way you compare Leo Messi to LeBron. So it was, it was just this like divisive, you know, divisive banger at the end. And so, yeah, it really boils down to that. If you just follow that framework and you have like an interesting enough topic, I think, I think you'll hit it. It's gold.
1: Five minutes to become a better storyteller. That's like a masterclass wedged into five minutes. That's such, such a dope clip. I think you're right. You know, like when you when you watch I love what you said about the last dab. When you watch Inception and you get the ending, I don't want to spoil in case anybody has not seen it. Although there should be like a a a global sort of like publicly recognized time limit for spoilers. Like if a movie's over ten years old, you (laughs) can talk about it maybe. But either way, like the last dab was so good that you wanna rewatch the movie with that in mind. And so a lot of the times you have like a last dab that's so dope that you almost want to rewatch the video knowing that piece of information, knowing what you know now. So I think that's really compelling. But yeah, I love the way that you frame the story. And I almost see that. It's like it's like you inject these techniques into almost every video you do. And so it's like it's really fun to kind of study. You know, like sometimes I'll watch a video. I might not be interested in, in the content necessarily. Like the McDonald's, I wasn't too interested in the content. But I was interested in how you were going to present it. So I watch it to study it, which is it's just like really, really dope creator to creator um speaking of creator to creator i wanted i want to talk about i want to ask you and then i also want to get your feedback on like okay if you if you're going to and of course things can change interests whatever but like 2024 if you want to how i want to know how you're thinking about your body of work and what that might look like and then i want to get quickly feedback on mine i was thinking about i want to start Maybe not immediately, but eventually I want to come out with two pieces of short form content per day. And I think once I have the key personnel around me, I can do that relatively easily. Probably alone, I could maybe even pull that off. So like the regular stuff, and when I say regular stuff that I don't think I can make a 10 out of 10 because the, the content or the idea, whatever it may be, I, I just don't think I can execute. It's not compelling enough. I want to have those live as just like a regular post on a Luna or Metaverse, which are like my two sort of like Instagram media brands. Um and then for myself, like my personal brand, I want to up the quality level. So I'm thinking about maybe two or three videos per week on my personal brand, on my personal pages, and then one or two originals, I'm going to call them per month. Or like maybe one original per month where, where I'm like, I want to start leaning into short films. Like mostly, not because it's there's money on the table. I actually think this is my least monetizable avenue. But it is a creative challenge that gets me waking up giddy every day. So I have, like, this new script that I wrote for my next original that I want to film this month. The challenge to get this done is, like, to me, where my skill levels are right now, is almost, like, insurmountable. Like, the lighting challenges, it requires de-aging. I'm actually, I went out and ordered, like, $500 worth of set decorations because (laughs) part of this film takes place in 2005, and I really want to nail the set design. Even though some of these items are only going to be on screen for half of a second, in the corner of the piece of, it's like, there's no ROI here, right? But it's like this creative challenge that I literally wake up excited to think about every day. So that's my content strategy laid out in 24 for short form. Um, And I I wanted to get your feedback on that. And then I want to hear how you're thinking about it.
0: Yeah, for short form, I I always go back and forth on this. I'm like, I think the dream would be to make as many as possible that are above the quality bar. So if I could do two a day, if I could do three a day, amazing. But then I'm like, is is two would two a day fatigue an average person like if for example like the otani video is what i did the build along on so i'm gonna make i'm gonna edit that later today i can't wait for that one by the way yeah
1: speak when you were talking about the messy video i'm like this is perfect parallels to the otani video that one's gonna crush yeah
0: i was walking through that like literally pulled up the messy script while i was walking through the otani one but but a perfect example is like okay so i posted the mcdonald's one this morning and i could probably i could probably get the otani one out in like four hours so i could post it like 6 p.m pacific but should I? The question its like, A, does that hurt the algorithm if I post multiple times in a day? I don't know. B, even if I do, is it like, am I hurt? Am I even getting the extra juice by putting that many? Like, do people want to see me every single day? A way to think about that, another way would be like, a weekly TV show that you look forward to watching every week. Would you want to watch it every single day? Like most shows I would say no. It's like, I kind of want to look forward to... So I think there's a sweet spot, which... I don't maybe I'm silly appro- approaching this and like actually there is no sweet spot and the answer is like 6 6 posts a day is actually better you'll grow 6 times as fast. I don't know. My gut tells me that like 2 times a day is probably the top of the limit. So if I could get to 2 a day that were all high quality that every single one of them was kind of like my signature style like we talked about which was breaking down some cult brand in like an interesting business way or I was doing some behind the scenes. I'd really like that. Right now I I it's hard to even picture doing that much output without help that's proactive and can like handle it without me even doing it but yeah I think from a short form perspective if snapchat's going to print money I want to make as many of those as literally literally as possible um we'll see about that like we said and then for the instagram I don't view instagram and tiktok as differently as you do because I haven't um yeah I've been just cross posting from the very beginning on it I didn't have a baked in instagram audience before I started making these shorts and so my thing is like, if the quality is high enough, I'm kind of proud to post that on both, even though they don't do as well on TikTok. So it would be nice to your point about the repurposing. If I could have somebody on the team who could make almost like scaled down versions of my content for TikTok, if they did better. But for now, I kind of am just like cross-posting all of them. I will say one problem is most of my videos are like over a minute and YouTube shorts caps at a minute. So what i'm doing right now today is literally just taking the first 59 seconds regardless of where it cuts off and just posting which is like stupid <laughs> but that's it's it's kind of like working so or it's working enough so yeah i think i like t- to give you feedback on yours i think the magic is when you very you vary styles. So the, what you presented makes a ton of sense because it's like you've got the super in-depth, crazy cinematic originals. You've got the new stuff that'll get cross-posted occasionally, like on the other channels a lot, but like occasionally on yours. You probably will have some stuff in the middle. We'll have pod clips that hopefully will get good. Like that, that's a nice body of work. Like there's a lot of good variety. For me, same kind of thing. is like I'm I'm trying to focus on the signature style of the business breakdowns. We'll have pod clips. I kind of want to start doing like a little bit more behind the scenes videos. I do my, you know, travel weekends vlogs or whatever. So it's the same thing. It's like I just feel like to summarize the max volume that I think makes sense is two times a day at the absolute most. So that's like ten videos a week, let's say. And if you vari- if you vary the styles, if you have a variety with ten a week, to me that's the optimal. But that's not data. That's not data backed, right? We could be wrong about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's ways to look at it. One is this idea of discovery versus relationship platforms, right? So like the relationship platform is YouTube is this podcast is our newsletters. And then discovery platform could be TikTok, tock, um, Instagram, et cetera. So some guys out there, guys and gals who are posting two, three, four times a day. Um, you know, the hermosis come to mind. And by the way, when I see their videos now, I'm mostly just swiping, not because I just, I like, I respect the hell out of them. I just, it's the, kind of the same thing over and over and over. Um, but they don't care about me. I'm already in their audience. I've already, they've already earned my respect. I already have a lot of affinity to them, some loyalty to them, whatever. They care about the new people that they haven't reached yet, right? And so when you're posting three or four times a day, it's not really about, you don't really care about your audience's fatigue. You're just looking for new people to come in, to come into your system, to eventually make, you know, they'll find their way to your YouTube, to your podcast, to your businesses, to your books, to your courses, to your offers, whatever it might be. And so it's like they only, they're salespeople. They only care about the lead, and these discovery platforms it's not to cultivate the audience they're going to do that elsewhere they're going to do that in their conferences in person conferences youtube podcasts whatever and it's only to cultivate the leads so it's like i think about it differently and it may be a crutch it may this may not be a positive i don't know it's it's fun to like debate on this on this pod going back and forth but it's like i really care about the people who already follow me i don't want to bore them i don't want that fatigue um, Gary Vee is another guy that I love and respect, but how many times has he stopped my scroll? Very little now. I see Gary Vee and it's just like, I've seen it. I've seen it a million yeah. times. Right. Um, and so it's, it's interesting, man. Cause it's like on one hand, if you're out, if you're, um, you know, if you're optimizing for money or just to get as many leads as possible and let your machine do the work and, and see how many of them convert to whatever it is you're selling then I think the conventional wisdom of just posting as many times as possible is the right one because you're only worried about the discovery. You're not worried so much about the relationship. And so I think it varies from creator to creator. Me as somebody who just like really values the art side of it, again, the artist versus the businessman, it's like I, d- I don't want to fatigue my audience because I care about them um, on Instagram. I care a little less about TikTok because like I said, uh, it's all like every video has to recompete against the algorithm. But I don't know if you, if you want to add any more to that. But I think – I think like anything else, man. Balance is key, and um, and it, it depends on what you value more—the relationship with their discovery. I have side. a good
0: framing for this. Like my, my classic, <laughs> distilling this into a one liner. I think it's like, I think it's active funneling versus passive funneling. So like, Hormozy and Gary V are active funneling. It's like their their main goal with content is to push you down a funnel into a buy, right? And like that's that works really well. It prints money for them. And like you said, your point around like they're looking for new eyes. The reason they're looking for new eyes is because you can only put eyes through the funnel so many times, right? So once, once someone in the right. audience has gone through the funnel, they're like, all right, whatever. If you stay, you stay. But like I'm trying to active funnel. What we're trying to do is passive funnel, which is we have a funnel. We have an offer at the bottom, but we're not really pushing to it. We're making stuff that's so good that when you get in the ecosystem, you basically think like, oh damn, I kind of really like these guys. Like I what else do they do? And the thing that we do actually happens to offer you a thousand out of 10 value. And so some people will buy, but we're not really pushing you, but that funnel, we like make no mistake. We do need the funnel in place so that we can capture some value. But I think there's a really key distinction right. about pushing people down versus pulling them down. And the way, the way we're trying to do it is, yeah, come on, the door's in. Like we took our best thinking, we put a, a, do, a buy button around it. If, you, if it make, makes sense for you, you know it's going to be high quality because everything we do is high quality, so buy totally. it. If you don't want to buy it, it doesn't matter because we're really making the content, putting all our time in to like entertain at the top of the funnel. That's, to me, that's a much healthier approach. Now, maybe that means you leave money on the table and it's under-optimized, but like, I'd much rather pick that path.
1: But can that money be captured in, in, in with greater impact later down the road? So like, I think this all comes back down to quality. If Christopher Nolan could put a Dark Knight or an inception or an interstellar out every week. I think he would, but he can't, it's impossible to uphold that, that, that level of quality. It is going to take a three, four to five years, right? Because it has to, everything is perfect at the highest level. Um, same. So when I'm looking at a lot of these creators that are just batching content, they're all just so low effort and that's the kind of reason and not a knock against them. It's because the only way to output four pieces of, of content per day on every platform, the, the only way to do it is to like expedite or take shortcuts, whether it be in the editing, the storyteller, the visual, the, the hook, whatever it might be. And so, like, I think that is, you said at the beginning, it's like, man, if I could put out three 10 of 10s per day, I would. Yeah. Right? But I can't. Um, and I think, ultimately, that's what makes sense. And so, like, Karen X, she's a really, really dope creator. And every time she uploads, I get excited to watch it because she uploads relatively infrequently. And the reason why is because she's only going to upload if it's a 10 of 10 and she knows it's going to bring max value to her audience. And so, that's exciting to me. When Mr. Beast uploads, that's exciting because you know it's going to be a masterpiece, right? Um, Because he's like, first of all, it's like a team of 200 putting in their blood, sweat, and tears and creating the best possible product possible. And so, um, by the way, when Karen X, if she were to come out with a book, I'm going to buy it immediately, right? Because, like, she's just earned my trust and my loyalty and my affinity, and I just, like, trust her to create, like, the best possible content. And so, when you are, like sacrificing a little bit of money on, on the short term, leaving some bags on the table short term. I do wonder if it comes back to you much more impactfully in the long term and overall to net positive. And this is like the crux of weekends, man. I love debating this. Like the artist versus the business, man. It's such a fascinating topic. I don't think there's any uh, right answers and it's all just something that we're all kind of taking. I think it here. comes back
0: to you in the long term if you then like take a swing at cashing that in. But most people, I would say, probably right. don't, right? Like they're like, yeah, I'm, I made... Couple hundred K from my one course, and like I'm not, I don't have the ambition to make a 30 million dollar product, but like I would say we probably do have that ambition, so yeah, I, it'll be interesting to play that out. Another way to frame it too is that I was thinking is like imagine you have a radio, and every time you change the channel, there's like static, 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 and then one time you change it, and it's like the best music you've ever heard. That's basically how social media is becoming, right? Any volume creator is just static, like it just, like you said, it just becomes noise, yeah, but. Once Great you turn analogy. to the music, which is like what we, me and you were trying to put out, you're like, damn, that's a sick song. It's like, yeah, that's quality. And I think the, I mean, the, the, the reason why people are doing the volume game is I think they see an arbitrage for the next couple of years where they're like, yo, we don't really give a shit if it's low quality. If we can push 50, if we can get 50 million in revenue, because we're just like tricking people down this funnel. We'll be on a beach somewhere. Like we don't care about, but if you're really trying to play the game for 50 years, you can't you, you don't want to take those shortcuts because you don't want to sacrifice the trust. Right. So I think well I think said. that's the that's the difference. But like we're trying to be music, not static.
1: Dude, I love that. Anybody listening, if you're listening on YouTube, there's this little uh uh mechanism control at the bottom where you can like two X, three X. When I talk just three X it and then one X it back one Callaway, because I go on for five minutes to synthesize <laughs> it beautifully. Uh, with, like, one poetic one-liner in, like, uh, four seconds. So, I love that, man. That was, We're trying to be music, not static. And you're right, bro. Like, t- TV has, has it, or social media has really just turned into TV, man. It's, um, I actually find myself, I like, one of the things I want to be very mindful of in 2024 is my scrolling time. I've been doing less and less. I actually consume so little now. I barely watch stories. I really don't watch, just because, like, I'd, I'd really go through it. I'd try to, like, monitor, keep a count in my head okay, the 5 million videos that I watched today in my two hours of scrolling, how many of those do I remember? How many of those actually brought value to my life? You can usually count those on one hand. almost none. It's really all just mindless garbage, man. (laughs) It's like, the other day I was scrolling TikTok and I realized like all these, it's like, it's a bunch of, it's the same thing, man. Over and over, Instagram, the same nonsense over and over. Here are four things that I do to produce content. Like, I don't, and I was like, damn, I need to stop this. There is there is literally no value gained. Ghost and you know? ghost. That's so, the
0: that's the that's the model. I mean,
1: I do yeah, like man, engaging. Create more than you consume in twenty-four, man. Anybody listening, weekends crew, that's yeah. what we gotta be about in twenty four. Hell yeah.
0: All right, let's wrap with the let's do the creators we're loving lately and then we can wrap it. Yep. Yeah. You got a couple listed here. You wanna go yeah. through them?
1: Yeah, I'll go through them. Some some creators that that are recently discovered that I'm that I'm really loving. Um, one is I'm gonna butcher this name and I apologize, but Zachariah Ben Cabouche, Ben Kabouche maybe, um, but so he's a brilliant colorer, right? He's a colorist. He um, he's uh, and when I mean colorist, I mean color grading like films. But the way that he presents it, the way that he presents, kind of like maybe like your uh, your uh, tagalongs. It's so dope like it's it's presented so visual in a visually pleasing way that you also learn from and it's just I highly recommend y'all go follow this guy on Instagram um, Zachariah Benko. Do you make
0: like longer form videos uh, doing it or like they're shorts
1: maybe the ones that I, I just recently came across him and I was just consuming his short form videos and I'm like this guy it's like it's like you said he's making music man it's not yeah. static it's like it's musical it's poetic it's beautiful the way that he presents it. Um, the other guy is the Pac-Man 82 who's like a, a VR king, or I'm sorry, a VFX king. And so, like, again, like, there, there's not a lot of, like, storytelling angle or anything behind it, but just for, like, visual goodness, you guys go and check this guy out. He's one of the best VFX artists that I've ever seen. Um, the other one is, her name is Lexi Limitless. I guess she was the youngest person ever to travel every single country. And, like, as somebody who formerly really loved to travel, now a little bit less, as we've talked about, um her content is just really compelling presented in a good way I think she's a must follow and then the the last guy that I got listed here is named Volandis Volandis Volands I'm not sure how to pronounce it again I apologize um he's a filmmaker but he's got such a signature style that instantly anytime I see like a, a clip I'm like that's Volandis like his coloring like the way that he approaches it just like the little little elements that he adds to a video is is very signature to him and when I what I love about artists are ones that are able to like trailblaze and innovate their own style and never really copy anybody else's. And I think he, he fits into that bucket. So those four, I just Dude, wanted having to shout
0: a, out. having like a signature visual style is my dream. Like when you, you, I just, there's something about the like aesthetic. You already have yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You already yeah.
1: have it. Yeah. You know, it's the hat. It's it's like the same consistent background. It's the it's it's the jumping of of the uh, the visuals, how you cut them up and collage them into the video. It's like the gifts. It's the wording. It's the I mean, yeah, like yeah. you have it. I
0: like, always want to like try to elevate it, like make it it's it's still 100%, really but that's what yeah, we do as exactly. artists. Yeah, I like the I like the murdered out outfit. That's like my my wife was always like, you got to like wear different stuff. And I was like, no, I kind of want my brand to be like black hoodie, some black right. hat with like some little emblem, and like then I want like companies to send me the black hoodies like that's i i want the i want the murdered out attire so 100%. to add to it brett Malinowski, we called him out earlier i was this guy did he start in like the web3 stuff i've i like saw his episodes and never i think so
1: because his his media company's name named me, wgmi which is like it was, was like a web3 yeah. moniker yeah. we're all gonna make it um so i'm assuming yes yeah that's
0: what i was thinking but like he i don't know if he's like recently taking youtube seriously or he uh he has another business that's making money that now he's funding the YouTube taking seriously. But either way, like he's, I would say his podcast episodes are really good. He basically interviews people who are making a lot of money on the internet that are like not well known. He also makes his own like solo videos, which I haven't watched that much, but like I went down, I watched a couple of these episodes, the one with Oliver Brocato, the guy from tabs, who's like just an absolute character. He's 21 tabs is worth $10 million. This guy like dropped out of, dropped out of university of Michigan and was like failing at making this business. Sells sex chocolate, like it's just hilarious. This dude is such a personality. So I watched that. Yeah, he's got he the does he factor. does he's a savage. I, I so I really like that one. I watched the one with those two kids that are fifteen that made five hundred thousand a month, which made me feel bad about myself. And then uh, I watched oh I watched the one with which we can talk about next time. The guy that basically created he calls it social SEO. He like mechanized using a lot of like what we're talking about, high quantity, probably static content to go, vir- to go viral everywhere for these people like Iman Godzi and whatever. So he interviewed this guy and this guy laid out the entire program, how it works, how he runs the business, like, et cetera. So I just love when like people who are savages in business get super transparent. I love that. That's what we're doing. That's what I tried doing blueprint. That's what this guy does. So if you like this kind of podcast, you probably love Brett Malinowski. Definitely hit him in the comments. Tell him that the weekend's Boys sent you. Um, but yeah, that's mine for the day, I'd say.
1: What I love about Brett, what I think he's doing, and uh, hopefully I don't butcher him, I don't want to like misrepresent their business model, but they're going the agency route and they have a no-code mm. agency. So what Brett likes to do, is he, he likes to talk a lot about the opportunity in no-code, building SaaS, um, creators building SaaS, et cetera, or like brands, whatever it may be. Um, but they have an agency, I think they use Bubble as their tool of choice to basically build no code on behalf of creators, entrepreneurs, et cetera. I think he mentioned on his podcast that they were bringing in, it was like 30 to 40 K MRR as of now, and that number is going to continue to grow. So I think that is the offer that they have at the bottom, but they also have like the, the media play. They have an Instagram, a Twitter, a newsletter with 70 K plus readers, et cetera, that I'm sure they monetize as well through brand deals. So I think they have uh, a lot of different ways to monetize, but the bread and butter is that no code agency, I believe. And that's where they're moving that Wagmi me media went towards.
0: Makes sense. It's it's a kind of ironic. It when, when I hear like a no code agency, and then it's like you're still hiring someone to do it. Like it's kind of it's kind of hilarious, but it make, it makes sense because like even though people don't know how to use Bubble, he can probably get the stuff done way faster than if he had developers coding because it's like quicker. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. yeah, he's sick. I mean, I love you know I love I love agency. Like uh, I I would hate to kind of be an operator of one, but I I think. Like a good agency really does solve a big problem, yeah. you know. It's like we, what we talked about earlier is like we're gonna have to figure out a way to hire five or six people, organize this all, and then all the paperwork that's on top of that, the bookkeeping, the tax implications, da 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 I want an agency, just like you have one point of contact, they do yeah. everything. That's a that's a good But great I, problem but I wrote self, about so. this.
0: the The order of operations should be: you build the team for yourself the hard way, you build the systems the hard way, and then you basically say could I make an agency where I offer this to others versus what I was thinking, which is like, let's just start with the agency and like, we'll figure it out as we build the agency and build it for yourself. That'll never work. So like, I think most, he probably, his agency, for example, he probably built a lot of stuff on bubble or like worked with someone who built on bubble, got that dialed in, built a couple things. And it was like, yo, we can just build other people. We can build for other people on bubble. So that makes a lot of sense. I think in the future, we'll probably have an agency, but definitely
1: 2024, man, we'll get this figured out and we're going to walk, y'all through every step of the yep. process hell yeah that's all that's all we got anything else you got in your mind that's it I had, I had some other things floating around my head but we'll uh figure out what they were write them down and we'll talk about if them you're next listening episode.
0: to this point please subscribe like we, we need subscribers we need you to listen to audio we need you to share this with friends like it this podcast is i think we're delivering way too much value for how few views we have just because we're starting out so we need that to change so make sure all the links are in the comments all the links are in the description make sure to follow That's all we got. Peace.